Welcome to the KBB Review Podcast. My name is Andy Davis and I'm your host for the extravaganza that is episode 7 of season 6. Now you may remember back in episode 2 of season 5 we heard all about TikTok from Josh Delane of The Woodworks in London. It was a really, really popular episode so if you haven't heard it I really recommend going back to it. In fact it was so popular that I'm very pleased to say we've got Josh back for not one but two episodes. Today I'll be talking to him all about Instagram and how he has not only grown his followers to 150,000 but also how he uses it to get actual leads as part of his wider marketing plan. Then next week, Josh is coming back to talk about how small independent KBB retailers can get the most bang for their very limited book using digital marketing. He's tripled their business in just six or seven years, and he will tell you how he did it. It is all genuinely eye-opening stuff, so grab a pen as I promise you'll want to write stuff down. But first... Maybe it's because I am now naturally a fat old man with a white beard, but I'm increasingly loving all things festive. Sure, there's presents, there's great food, there's family, there's friends, but all that pales into insignificance next to the KBB Review Christmas Window Competition 2022. Yes, it's back and bigger than ever, and if you're listening to this while rummaging in the storeroom trying to find the same tatty Christmas tree, spindly tinsel and half-working lights as every other year, then stop right there. We're looking for the best Christmas window displays in the independent kitchen, bedroom and bathroom retail market. We want your reindeers, we want your Santas, your lights, your trees, your holly. We want shaking Stevens, Noddy Holder, someone trying to stop the cavalry. And while you're there, let's get a snowball for Grandma. All you need to do to enter is take some pictures and post them on Instagram, Twitter or LinkedIn using the hashtag KBBXmas22. You've got until December the 9th to enter and you could win the glory as well as £500 for your favourite charity, courtesy of our sponsor, Kuka. Good luck. And here is Josh Delane from The Woodworks. Hello, Josh. Welcome to Harrow. Hello, hello. Now, let's start by getting to know you a little bit. Tell us the 30-second precy of The Woodworks. Okay, so The Woodworks is a fourth-generation family-owned and operated business started by my parents about 32 years ago, and we design, manufacture, and install high-end fitted kitchens. And very successful it is, too. Your dad is actually a judge at our awards this year. He is, yeah. Very prestigious. So you haven't got a marketing background, have you? But you took responsibility for the marketing at the Woodworks. Yeah, so the story is I qualified as an accountant with one of the big four, got my ACA qualification, and probably on about day three I realised it wasn't for me. But I was stuck at that point, and I thought I'd just see it out. And after I qualified, I was like, well, what do I want to do in my life? Interviewed at a lot of other finance houses, corporate finance, investment banking, all that sort of stuff. And I I was like, this is just more of the same stuff. It wasn't really intriguing to me. And went to a cousin's wedding. So it was me, my mum, my dad in the car up to Wales. And we got stuck in the car for about six hours. And we just started talking about the business. And my whole life was always... I was never going to join the business because I'm not practically minded. I don't know one end of a hammer from the other. Genuinely, like, no idea. I, I couldn't, the apple couldn't have fall, fallen further from the tree where my dad's concerned. But the minute I stopped looking at it as a kitchen business and just a business in general, I started to get a bit more exciting. And there was a lot of low hanging fruit, or that's the way I saw it with their business, in that they had grown to a lovely sized business purely through word of mouth and recommendations. So they had a great product, great service and a decent brand name, but they never really pushed the boat. They never did any form of advertising at all and never really had a retail presence. So we had a small showroom, but it was in the factory. And so I jumped at that opportunity. I said, let's take this to the next level. Fast forward seven years later, got three showrooms, tripled the size of our factory. We've got eight senior sales designers, soon to be nine. And it's just a completely different business. But when I started, the brief was, you're going to grow the business. And I was an accountant. So, you know, how do you grow a business? Well, we need more customers. How do you get more customers? 
marketing. And that is the answer. So I basically taught myself over the last seven years, digital marketing, because that's where I saw the future and started with Instagram, Facebook, paid ads into YouTube, into short form content like TikTok and Instagram reels. And yeah, now we've built built a massive brand online. We have 514,000 followers on TikTok, 151,000 on Instagram, got a small but steadily growing YouTube channel. So for a thousand subscribers. And yeah, we're just basically building our digital footprint and building a brand name in the space. And that's a fantastic story. And I think it's a story that I think most small, independent KBB businesses wish and think they would want to emulate in some way. Now, the last time you were on, you talked about TikTok, which is a particular focus of yours. And I was quite surprised by how popular that episode was. Okay. Not, in a, not because you were on it. No, no. <laughs> because, because TikTok is a subject is relatively, it's a relatively new platform. Yeah, definitely. Form. So I thought, let's get you back in and talk about some of these other platforms that lots of retailers will be exploring or will already be using and see what your views on that are, of just how we can get to the kind of numbers and how we can get to the kind of engagement that you get with yours. So we're going to talk about Instagram today. And like I said, the difference between TikTok and Instagram, I think, is most retailers will probably have some kind of presence on Instagram already. So they're probably quite familiar with it to varying degrees of, of success. So So let's start at the beginning and see what you think the pros and cons of Instagram are for small independent KBB businesses. So I look at Instagram almost like a shop front. So your Instagram feed can be beautifully curated, very high production photography. And basically what you want someone to do is they land on your profile, scroll through your images and say, you know, this looks like a nice outfit that I'd like to contact. TikTok's completely different to that. TikTok is just you're scrolling through and you want to have high impact, engaging content. Instagram is very tough to grow at the moment if you're just posting photos because the discoverability element is not really there. Hashtags don't really work anymore, contrary to what anyone will tell you. And it's based on a different algorithm. So TikTok's algorithm is based on the interest graph, i.e. I'm going to show you content that you're interested in and we will learn over time based on what you like, share, watch multiple times on a video. Whereas Instagram is based on the social graph, which is who you follow. And there's a reason that TikTok's algorithm is more engaging. Why it's growing much more quickly is because people want to watch what they're interested in and people change over time. You know, if you were following someone when you were 25 to the point where you're 35, let's just say, the people that you follow are going to change over time. Your interests and preferences are going to change over time. So you're not going to be as engaged in the content they're putting out. Whereas TikTok's always going to learn as you go on. I think Instagram is important for sure, because as a demographic, you have an older audience on Instagram, slightly less old than potentially on Facebook and certainly older than on TikTok. So you definitely need to be there. You need to have a presence there. But people that are posting one photo every three days and asking why Instagram's not working is just... I mean, I guess, look, this is a very visual medium, isn't Absolutely. it? And this is a very visual product that retailers, manufacturers as well are producing. It's a very visual thing. So I guess any platform that is very visually based is always going to be useful to them, isn't it? That's just a, let's do very basic stuff here. We'll talk about frequency in a minute. But what makes a good Instagram image? I mean, one of the things that people struggle with, I think, sometimes is, well, what do I put on there? Yeah, yeah, no, I understand. So what makes a good image, do you think? For us, the biggest takeaway working on Instagram now for four or five years is that rather than just having photos of kitchens, which is like doing the bare minimum, is have the kitchen styled. So this is our biggest, biggest, biggest win was hiring a styling team who came to every shoot and they make it look homely. Because prior to that, the kitchens were sterile and they were a bit boring and bland and we'd get everything off the worktops and it's just not as interesting to look at. We hired these stylists and they come to every shoot and now they make it much more visually appealing. So you can literally scroll through our feed and you'll see a point where, you know, we had 50,000 followers. 
This was probably eight months ago. And we started styling the shoots and fast forward eight months, we've got 151,000 followers. Now it's, it's not just that there's, you know, a huge amount of video content that goes into that, but that is a massive, massive win. And there are a number of high profile probably the best way of putting it, photographers in the KBB space, but they charge an arm and a leg for one shoot. They will come, they will style it, but they're charging a thousand pounds to do a shoot and they'll do one room and it's just stills. And if you look at the maths and you want to be shooting at least a kitchen a week, talking 50 grand a year, that's just for photos. I looked at that and I said, well, why can't I hire an in-house team or an in-house photographer, videographer who do photos and videos? It's going to cost me far less than 50 grand a year. So just purely on a numbers basis, if you can afford and you already are affording to hire a photographer, potentially think, can I bring that in-house and do more for the money? Okay, so let's break down some of the features of Instagram and, and see whether you think they're useful or not useful or the best ways to use them. So obviously you have your feed, you post pictures of it goes in the feed, right? But then you also have stories. So I'm trying to sort of pitch the thing here for people who sort of use it, but don't use it every day. So tell us the difference between the stories and the feed. So feed posts are there uh, indefinitely until you choose to remove them. Uh, stories disappear after 24 hours. So the way, the way that we like to look at it is that our feed is beautifully curated. It's like our shop front. That's what people see when they hit our profile. So everything's high production value, beautifully polished, edited, etc. But the stories we use more as a view into what happens behind the scenes. So we do behind the scenes on our photo shoots. We do behind the scenes in the office, you know, little things that we're seeing out and about because it doesn't need to be that high production value because it's going to disappear in 24 hours people aren't going to judge you on it necessarily so it's more about the volume of stuff that you can do in your stories um and a, a quick tip on that if you are posting you know three or four stories in a day wait 24 hours wait for them to completely expire before you start doing a new set of stories because your views will be much higher because it instagram basically says oh they've got some new content on rather than following on from the last set is that a typical number you would do three or four in a day anywhere between two and eight, depending on what we're doing on that day. You know, you're not getting a huge amount of visibility. I'd say that 151,000 followers, I think our story views are between two and 5,000, depending on what it is, if it's super exciting. Um, another way you can sort of game the system is by making the story content more engaging. So you can use polls, you can use stickers, you can use, you know, slide bars, because the more people that interact with that story, the more people Instagram will push that to and say, hey, other people find this interesting. Would you potentially find that interesting? I always think stories are a, are a great way to get personality across. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Like the feed is is almost like a bro, you know brochure for old fashioned way of describing it, but almost like a brochure. Whereas the stories are much more about the people and the the personality. Yeah, I think things. it's like a chance to make yourself a bit more approachable. You know, there's a lot of showrooms. Just taking for an example, Wigmore Street, the very very high end showrooms. You're talking the boffies, the bolt outs, the roundhouses, and people walking in. It's 80, 90, 100K for a kitchen. They're almost like a black box. And some of those are by appointment only. So the stories are a nice opportunity to show the people the work behind the scenes, the staff, the, the what happens day to day, how do we make our coffees, you know, what we do on a shoot, etc. So it just gives people almost like a window into what your business and your staff and your culture is like. Which is particularly important if you are a local independent Absolutely. business, isn't it? Personality is a big part of it. Okay, so that's stories. Now, what about Reels? Because Reels is, I guess, as close to TikTok as you're going to get inside Instagram, isn't it? It's that kind of short-form video part of Instagram because Instagram panicked that everyone was going to TikTok, yeah. so they invented Reels. But Reels and TikTok, very different, obviously, in terms of the audience that they have. Do you make videos separately for both? Do you move one across to the other? Can you transfer them? What's your advice? So the first thing to say is, without sounding dramatic, Reels are the only thing that matter. Obviously, most people are going to have a nice feed, uh, stories, you can do it. It's not really that relevant, but reels are the only thing that matters at the moment. And that's because Instagram is pushing video to compete with TikTok. We film one video 
And we post that on three different platforms. So on Instagram Reels, on TikTok, and on YouTube Shorts. And that is the same video, exactly the same video. One thing to be aware of is if you're posting on TikTok as a starting point, don't just download the video and post it on Instagram because it has the TikTok watermark and Instagram flags that is, you know, it's not original content basically and it, and it penalizes it. So if you are going to do it, there's a website called snaptick.app. So just Google snaptick and you can download it without a watermark. That's just a, a little tip. But really Reels is the place to be discovered. It's where you are reaching a completely new audience rather than a feed post, which is just going to bounce around your people that are following you. So it's a, a great way to build your visibility and your reach online. Okay, so what is your top three or four things to think about if you're making one of those videos? Quantity over quality. You've got to be putting out a video a day, not just because that's what's required. It's more about being able to test and see what works, what doesn't work and coming up with different ideas. So we've now gotten to a point where we've got a framework that we have built out so that every shoot that we go to, we've got our framework that we go, okay, have we got this this video? I've got this video, I've got this video. So for example, one of ours is a sped up walkthrough of the kitchen. And that was born out of the fact that we were doing a YouTube video anyway. So we're walking through the kitchen, we're opening doors, you know, opening cupboards, turning on the hob, whatever. And that is now part of the framework. So every shoot we go to, okay, have we got the sped up walkthrough? And it's just literally following me with a camera, walking around the kitchen, opening doors, pointing things out, and we just speed that up. And that's a video. Right. And when you build out your framework, you can get to a point where you're shooting five, six, seven videos per shoot of a kitchen. I mean, if you're doing one or two a week, that's a huge amount of content. Because I think part of the problem with video is that people think it has to be much more complicated than it is, that they have to be doing the dance or they have to be doing something very spectacular that actually, as you say, just showing someone a cupboard opening and closing can be what people want to see. Again, part of the framework, one of the things that we do is literally walk up to a pocket door larder, open the doors, push them in, grab something from the cupboard and walk away. On the face of it, if I told you that, you'd think, oh, that's boring. <laughs> What's interesting about that? Those videos rack up between two and four million every time, right? Don't ask me why. But again, if we didn't test it and it wasn't, if we didn't just think, oh, you know, it's going to take 10 seconds, let's just quickly film it and see what happens. We would never have known that. So now every time we go to a kitchen that's got a pocket door, larder in it, we're like, okay, bang, we've got another video. The other thing to note is that people need to get away from the old way of thinking, which was that Instagram has to be extremely high production value and edited to within an inch of its life. TikTok has paved the way for the, the short form video and shown people that it doesn't really matter. It doesn't have to be high production value. It doesn't have to be beautifully curated. It can just be a video. As long as it's engaging and there's some sort of interest in there, it will do well. And listen, there are ways of, in inverted commas, gaming the system. You know, we post videos on TikTok that we think on the face of it is boring, but it, we know people are going to comment. And when people comment, like, share, that pushes it to a wider audience on TikTok. And it's the same with Instagram. So, you know, we did a kitchen, filmed a kosher kitchen. So Orthodox Jewish family, they have multiple sinks and prep areas. So one for milk, one for meat, one for porridge, which is neither. And this kitchen, I think, actually had four sinks. And so we did a video. How many sinks do you need in your kitchen? And we just showed one, two, three, four boring right but so many people commented on that like you know you get stupid comments like oh how wealthy are you? you know four sinks but the more people comment on it the wider of an audience it gets pushed to and you end up with millions of views on a on a, on a video had another one with a pot filler tap right in america pot filler taps are massive here they're like it's still quite a blossoming trend pair in a row obviously uh, uh, do do a lot of pot filler taps so we use a lot of them in our projects we put a video up with a pot filler tap and your content on tiktok or instagram for example it's going worldwide especially for reels so you know we're saying have you ever seen a feature like this before in the uk we're thinking no one's really seen this but in the us every house has a pot filler tap so everyone's commenting going yeah I saw one 30 years ago, you know, but there's so many of these people are commenting and all of a sudden you end up with a video that's got, I think that one video had 10 million views and it was split, I think a million on Instagram, 9 million on Facebook, which wow. is just nuts. 
I guess it's just a very identifiable subject matter, isn't it? Everyone's got a kitchen, everyone's Correct. got at least one bathroom. We're very lucky in that the subject matter here is very appealing to people. Everyone's got... It's relatable, a, yeah. It's very relatable, everyone's got an interest in it. It's not like you're doing tunnels or tunnelling or international aluminium gouging or something. It's an easily identifiable thing that even if you're not in the trade, even if you're not in the market for a new kitchen or bathroom at the moment, you're still going to look at it and think, God... I always call it kitchen porn. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very aspirational yeah. thing. Everyone's always nosy about other people's homes, and, and I think this is where this comes in. But I think what's fascinating about this is people shouldn't be daunted by just doing the most basic Correct. stuff because they should feel they need to be flossing in the middle of their kitchen or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah listen, I think it's hard to get away from this. A lot, I think it's a lot of people just making excuses. Oh, I don't have the right equipment. I don't have this. Oh, I'm not ready. Ultimately, we film it on, on our iPhone. Every single one of our videos, we've had hundreds of millions of views across multiple platforms. It's all done on an iPhone. The only thing that we film on a professional camera is the YouTube. And that's only because it's on the gimbal and you can move around nicely. It's not high production value. It's an iPhone. So there's really no excuses. And I would say to retailers that aren't doing it, they're worried about doing it, just hire a creator to do it. Genuinely, it's going to it's gonna pay off. Let's get some of the nuts and bolts of Instagram, which I wanted to ask you about. Instagram is a point of contact. What do you put in the descriptions? What information do you have that is useful to people who want to come and talk to you? I would say that your bio needs to be really clean and clear about what it is you do and who it is you serve. There's an element of discoverability in your bio. Um, so when you're searching for things, if you've got a really clean bio that, that's specific to the people that you serve, it will come up higher on the, on the search results. Have your number there and link it to the Instagram account. It has to be a mobile number, unfortunately. So I do get calls at 8 p.m. on a Sunday asking about kitchens. <laughs> My wife is driven mad by it, but that is the reality. And I'm sure a lot of retailers, people that own their own small businesses, they're going to be doing that anyway. Have an email button so that people can contact you quick and easily. And lots of call to actions on your website. So you're pointing people, you have your uh, link in bio that is to your website and make sure that if people are hitting that website for the first time, there are clear call to actions. How do I get in touch with these people and make it obvious? And you can pin posts to the top of your feed, can't you? Can, you? Yeah. So what do you, what's your advice for what those pinned posts should be? Because some people will literally have, you know, their opening hours and their whatever. Yeah, I mean, listen, opening hours for me is not that important because if someone wants to come into your shop, they're going to realistically search it on Google and Google My Business. So first of all, make sure you have a profile there. That will detail the opening hours and Google are quite good at emailing you, reminding you, you know, around Christmas, do you want to change your opening hours? So I, I wouldn't say that. For me, it's just your highest performing feed posts. So whatever has the most likes, I'd pin that at the top. Or, you know, like us, we're a company that does everything from super modern kitchens to very traditional kitchens. So our pin posts, we like to show a variety of the highest performing feed posts that tickle the boxes in terms of one super modern, one maybe middle of the road and one maybe a bit more traditional. So that people, as soon as they hit their profile, they're like, oh, look, they've got quite a wide range in terms of the styles that they can do. And how often should you change them? I wouldn't be too concerned with that. Once a month, review it. If you've got a post that's super outperforming one of the pinned posts, then maybe change it. But I wouldn't mess around with it too much. Or if, you, you know, you go to a photo shoot and you take an amazing kitchen shot that you love the look of and you think it's going to draw people in, then pin that. But I mean, it's not, again, I wouldn't put too much weight on that. Okay, so you've already mentioned them once. You say they don't work, but everyone's still using them. <laughs> Hashtags. Should you use them? Should you not use them? How many should you have? How do you know which ones to pick? What's your science to choose whatever it is you're putting on there? I have read a lot about the fact that hashtags aren't really relevant nowadays. I don't know about you, but I don't know. I don't remember the last time I searched for a hashtag on Instagram. I just don't. And I think that as TikTok are coming out with more SEO-based changes to the algorithm, Instagram will follow suit. So it's all about your description rather than necessarily the hashtags. So you want to talk about light hard, hardwood flooring, shaker cabinets, whatever the color is in your description, in your caption, rather than necessarily the hashtags, because that will become discoverable 
from an SEO point of view in the search. I just don't think hashtags are important. We do do hashtags only because that is sort of the rule of thumb. But I can tell you we've tested it with posts that we don't do hashtags and it doesn't make a difference. So we do it just because on the odd chance someone's, yeah, exactly. Someone's searching for a hashtag, then we'll show up. But I really don't think it's important. So you've talked a lot about the algorithm, right? I think this is one of those words that people just go, oh my God, I've no idea what that means. It's all about total black art of things. But all algorithm means is how that particular platform decides what it is you will or won't want to look at. Uh, from, from a user's point of view. Yeah. So how do you know how it works First of all, it's changing all the time. So whatever I tell you now is probably not going to be relevant in a month. There is an account on Instagram that you can follow called at creators and they, uh, the head of Instagram basically pops up on there every so often and talks about changes to the algorithm, and what you need to be doing to make sure that you are following best practices. TikTok's algorithm, I do know how it works now. It's a bit more clear. And if I break that down, it will become obvious why you should do certain things. So you put a video up on TikTok, it will send that video to a test batch audience, which is to a thousand people. The first thousand people will watch the video. And depending on how many people like, share, comment, or watch multiple times, those are like, it scores it. It will then push it to the next batch of audience, which is 10,000. does the same thing again. If it's good enough, it will go to a batch of 100,000. And if it's good enough, it will go to what's called viral status, which is a million plus. So you want to be trying to game those videos that you're putting up for likes, shares, comments, and rewatches. So we did a video the other day that was like, look at these top four features in a kitchen. And there were five in the video. That was on purpose because the amount of people that were commenting saying, that's not four, that's five. That's gaming the algorithm. People are going to be commenting. It's going to push it to more people. Or people are going to be rewatching it again to be like, hold on, did I see that right? Were there four or they're five? You know, it's, it's so stupid, but that is ultimately the way it works. You need to get, to get engagement. You might have to do controversial stuff. Well, engagement is the next bit to talk about because we, all this is about getting people to come to you. But how important is it for you to go to other people? How important is it for you to engage with other people's accounts, other people's posts, other people's feeds? You know, it's part of the Instagram routine, interacting with other people as much as it is about controlling your own account. I would say that maybe six months ago, that was more relevant pre-reels really taking off. If you only have time to do one thing, just focus on doing your short form video. If you have the time or you have a marketing executive that has the time, then yeah, it can't harm I would follow some of the bigger accounts in the industry of a lot of followers, us, for example, and comment something thoughtful and relevant on that post. And other people will see that and they might click on your profile as a result, say, like, what are they all about? Who are these people? And if they like what they see on the feed, that they're going to follow them as well. Gary Vaynerchuk, who's a very famous marketer, has a same strategy. It's called the $1.98 strategy. And it's basically, he says, leave your two cents on a hundred posts a day, which is obviously a lot of hand-to-hand combat. It's a lot of work that needs to be done. But, you know, he used to swear by that. I don't know how relevant it is anymore because video content is getting pushed into people's feeds. There's more people using the platforms than creating the, co- the video content, same as TikTok, which means that you have a higher chance of being discovered. See, I guess it's about the role of social media for small local businesses. If you're a local business, for you to engage with other local businesses, whether that's kitchen or bathroom or not, is about building your profile within that. It's also about building trust. Yeah, a small geographical area, you know, rather than having a global reach for everything. Yeah, so it's having those kind of engagements and conversations with people. And it might be you're engaging with the local golf club or the local Cub Scout troop or the whatever it is. All that means you're popping up constantly in these local conversations. It is. I don't know whether in today's day and age, people are looking at your social presence as almost a form of social proof. So someone tells me about the woodworks, never heard of them before. 
go on Instagram, oh, they've got 150,000 followers like that. They must be doing something right. Go on their TikTok, they've got 500,000 followers. Okay, now I'm interested. Then I go on their website, there's loads of reviews from happy people. I go on their house profile, there's 50 five-star plus reviews. You know, it's about having your digital footprint scaled out, omni-channel, so you're on all the platforms, Mm -hmm. so that when people are looking you up, you basically tick all the boxes and you look like a trustworthy source. Obviously, what you're saying is relevant to an extent. It is building trust at a local level, but without the social proof, which is what people are going to look at, you know, I don't know how relevant it is. So you've said a few times, 150,000 followers for the woodworks. I know that people are listening to this and are screaming how at their, whatever their audio device is. Because obviously you haven't got 150,000 customers. So Not yet anyway. Not yet yet (laughs) anyway. So how have you got... In a relatively short space of time, 150,000. Okay, first of all, it's not a short space of time. This has been a six-year journey. It took six years to get from zero to 50,000 followers, and it took six months to get from 50 to 100,000 followers. The brand value and the goodwill value does compound over time. The effort that you put in compounds over time. The biggest trajectory change was when we started doing the short-form video. So I've literally got a WhatsApp message that I sent to one of my, my photographer, videographer, the first guy that we had, and I said, listen, I think that we've got to go hard on the short form video. At the time, it was just for TikTok because I think Instagram Reels only got released later on. And I said, you know, I want to hire someone full time just to do TikToks, which is obviously a massive bet. We're talking the best part of 25 grand or whatever it is for a full time creator to do TikTok. There was no sure path to turnover in terms of kitchens. But reading what I read and knowing what I know, I thought that is a good bet longer term. So we hired this guy started posting videos every single day on TikTok and Instagram. And all of a sudden the Instagram just ballooned. So it was a combination of that. The styling of the shoots was a massive thing and being consistent. So we were posting a feed post every day, stories every day, a reel every day, if not two. And so Instagram's looking at that going, these guys are really trying. They're putting in, you know, some serious effort and they do reward that to an extent. So it is a volume game. You know, as much as quality is important to an extent, don't let that come at the cost of a lack of quantity. What's coming across strongly here is that it's a job. 100%. And it is a very important job. It is not something you can do at the end of the day or the beginning of the day or when you've got a spare time in the middle somewhere. It is a, it is a job. If you want to get to the kind of levels that you're at, it is a job. Yeah, listen, we're, we're, we're talking now. I've got, a, I've got a team of two stylists that come to the shoot. I've got three photographers and videographers. I've got web guys and media bars on the back end. Like we've got, we've built out a proper team, but it didn't start like that. It started with me just posting stuff on Instagram and slowly but surely when you have a bit of conviction and you start to get some small wins, you plow the money back into it. So this is why I tell people for me anyway, if you're getting started on your digital marketing journey, start with some paid ads and start to game that arbitrage. So you're paying 500 pounds to acquire a customer and you're selling a kitchen for 20 grand. There's whatever 10 grand profit in that gross. All of a sudden you can start to take the profits and reinvest that back into the organic side, which is your short form video feed posts. And it's just a flywheel. It keeps going, it keeps going, it keeps going. But we are in a very unique industry in that we have an unbelievably high average order value, i.e. what is the cost of one kitchen? You know, for some retailers, it's going to be 15. For some, it's going to be 50 or 60. You know, if you're talking middle of the road, 30, 35 grand for a kitchen, you can afford to spend 2,000 pounds to acquire a customer. If I said to you tomorrow, I've got this customer ready to go. You pay me two grand for that customer and you have the 30 grand kitchen. Every single retailer that's listening to this would buy my hand off, right? So why wouldn't you make the bet that that's going to happen digital in terms of buying the ads and, and actually doing that? Let's talk a little bit about the paid for advertising element to a platform like Instagram as well. 
When do you, when don't you use that? What is the best way to go about it? I would do it straight away. Any business of any size should be doing that. Unless you have hit the jackpot and happen to stumble upon something super early on a trend on, you know, and built your brand on the back of that, you need to be doing paid ads. So Devolve, for example, have a massive social presence. They basically owned Instagram as a platform for the kitchen space. And they were very early and they were very on trend and people loved it and flocked to it. They don't need to do paid ads. They've got half a million followers and people want to devolve kitchen. They've built that brand and good, good to them. But if you're not them and you haven't done that, then you need to be spending money on paid ads like yesterday. Because until such time as you have a reliable way of knowing how much you're spending to get people through the door, you're at the mercy of, of the economy, of, of the world, of you know, the wind changing. It, you're not in control of it at all. And so this was what my parents' business used to be like. Word of mouth and recommendation is great. You know, and if you've got a business that, that can generate business through that, then fantastic. You've obviously got a good product, good service, good sales team, whatever it is, but you're not in control of that. And it's feast or famine. One month you could have six leads that were all recommendations, fantastic. And the next two months you, you're dead. You've got no one because you're not actually actively going out there and pushing it. And so the paid side is completely crucial and we hang our hat on that. And I have a media bar that does a lot of that. I learned it myself before I handed it off to him. You know, you need to start doing that straight away. And there are lots of agencies that can do that for you because it takes time to learn. You know, it took me three years to learn how to do proper ad buying on Google and Facebook. So there are agencies that can help you with that. And again, what's a thousand pounds for an agency to do your ad buying for you plus a thousand pound in ad spend if you're getting two or three kitchens out of it. And that's what people need to understand. There's a, there's a term in marketing called ROAS, return on ad spend. And so we track it as every pound you spend on marketing holistically in the business. And that is divided by the total revenue coming from kitchens. So if you do a million pounds of kitchen sales and you spent a hundred grand on your marketing, then your return on ad spend is 10, it's 10 X. And so we have, I track this every month, our blended return on ad spend year to date is 46 X. That's like me saying to you, if you give me one pound, I'm going I'm to give you 46 pounds back. It's a pretty good bet. People really need to understand that. One of the barriers to this, because when you explain it that way, it's so obvious and it's an absolute given. But one of the barriers, I suppose, is the person who's doing this is also the person designing the kitchen, is also the person ordering things, is also the person who's managing the business. You know, it is all about time. So what is your routine for all this? What, how is your day broken up into how you, what you do and when? We, yeah, I mean, listen, we're, we're talking many years on from when I started. And as I said, we've got a team, so I'm not in the, in the day-to-day thick of it in terms of posting and doing all that stuff. We've built out a team to be able to do that. One of the biggest turning points for the business was basically me coming in and my parents having time to stop working in the business and start working on the business and myself as well. So we've hired out a team. Okay, so I looked at my day and was like, where am I spending most of my time? It was with clients, designing, selling, servicing. So we were like, okay, if we ever want to get out of the day-to-day minutiae, the first thing that's got to go is selling. And a lot of small business owners will think, oh no, but you know, my clients know me, they come to me for me. And that's a very small time mentality. And my parents were the same. They were like, you know, Mr. Smith comes from down the road. They want to come to me. They want to come to Richard and Donna, not the woodworks. They come to us. But we've proved that we hired a sale, you know, our first salesperson, then a second salesperson, then the third salesperson, designer, whatever you want to call them. And all of a sudden it wasn't about Donna and Richard or Josh. It was about the woodworks. And it's these people that are the face of the brand and they're doing the selling for you. So all of a sudden, that's 30 hours a week that you got back. Now we can start focusing on how we drive leads for those salespeople. And that's that, it was very, very logical. It was one thing to, to another. In terms of when I was starting, I knew that it was important. So I literally scheduled every day. It was an hour. Okay, we're going to work on the social media. But as you alluded to, a lot of people don't really, they don't know enough to be able to do it. And they are designers. They are small business owners. They are wearing a lot of hats. 
If you've got two choices, either you dedicate the time to learning and doing it yourself, or you hire someone to do it for you. But I always say, if you're hiring someone, you really need to know or have someone in the business that knows enough to be able to judge what you are being told. Because there's a lot of agencies that you can work with that will spin your wheels for six months telling you that, you know, talking facts, figures and abbreviations, and you're just completely lost. You don't know what they're talking about. So you're like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Know enough, like these numbers that we're talking about, know enough to be able to actually gauge whether it's working or not. Well, look, Josh, we've run out of time where we could talk about this all day, but it's so interesting. And it's what's, what I love about it is that it's such a practical application of something. You know, yeah, you are looking absolutely. for, you are looking for genuine, tangible results out of all this. This, this is an accountant's mentality. It is. <laughs> well, you know, I think sometimes social media can be a, a, an ego game. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. this is not about ego at all. Not this is all. this is about a business and driving leads, driving sales for a real business. Hundred percent. And you're doing fantastically well at it. Thank and, you, very and much. that's why you're here. So, look, thank you for your time today. Thank you. That was Josh Delane from the Woodworks, and didn't I tell you it was eye-opening? I certainly learnt a lot, and the best thing about it is that this isn't a vanity project. Josh is showing how it's all about driving real leads. And if you like that, you will love next week's episode, where we go into much more detail about Josh's digital marketing strategy as a whole, and how it delivered him the kind of results he's been talking about here. So if you don't already, make sure you follow us in your podcast app of choice, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or pretty much everywhere else. That way, you won't miss an episode. And also, of course, get those entries in for the KBB Review Christmas Window Competition 2022. All you need to do is use, yes, Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn and post your pictures using hashtag KBBXmas22. See you next time.